Hey everyone. <laughs> Happy New Year. Um, so like Thomas was saying, we're going to be taking a break from Revelation today, so you can go ahead to open up to Psalm 23. <laughs> um, I hope everyone did have a good break and um, good Christmas. If for those of you who hadn't heard, I actually got sick, so I was stuck in quarantine all day Christmas and pretty much all last week. So not, not ideal at all, but it was still ended up being a good time of rest because I got to work from home, catch up with some friends I hadn't talked to in a while. And most importantly, I got uninterrupted time with the Lord last week, which was really what I needed. Um, so we're, Psalm 23, it's, it is very well known, um, but I pray that even if you are familiar with it, you would have an open heart and open mind this morning, because God may have something new for you. To, um, so first, I'm going to read the Psalm 23, then I'm, I'm going to pray too. All right. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and for being our shepherd and being the host of a house where we will dwell in forever. And I pray that your word will edify all of us this morning. Um, let every word proceed from my mouth be yours and not mine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so the main point of the message this morning, God's people can have total confidence in him because he leads us and cares for us in the midst of our enemies. I'll say that one more time. God's people can have total confidence in him because he leads us and cares for us in the midst of our enemies. And Psalm 23 gives us two analogies for how God does that. Verses 1 through 4 describe him as a shepherd, while verses 5 through 6 describe him as the host of a house. So, first we're going to talk about God as a shepherd. And Psalm 23 starts out with the proclamation, the Lord is my shepherd. And a good first question for us to ask is, what does that mean? So let's think about who God is for a moment. God is the creator of everything. He created the earth, the sky, and animals, including sheep. And God, as the creator of sheep, knows exactly how to care for them. But the sheep that are referenced throughout Scripture, that God shepherds, they're not literal sheep. Um, see, God's sheep are those that put their faith in Christ Jesus and follow him all the days of their life. And Jesus gives more credentials for why he is a shepherd in John chapter 10. And I just wanted to read verses 11 through 16 real quick. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So what are some of Jesus' credentials that he listed just then? One was he doesn't abandon them when he sees a wolf approaching. He protects his sheep. He cares for his sheep. But probably the most important one is he lays down his life for his sheep. He would rather himself be killed than his sheep taken. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus, being God in human form, came to earth to gather his flock. And while he was here, the religious leaders, or perhaps we could say the wolves, saw him as a threat to their livelihood and schemed how to kill Jesus. They arrested him, tortured him, and killed him by nailing him to a cross. But while he was on the cross, Jesus took on the sin of the world that kept his sheep from being part of the flock. And he died, paying the penalty of sin that should have been paid by us. And by doing this, Jesus created a way for the sheep to enter God's pen. And Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, symbolizing that he conquered death. Amen. And it proves that we, our shepherd is not dead. He's alive. And if you're here visiting today and you're not one of God's sheep, I just ask that you would consider what it might look like for you to put your faith in Christ. Because there is a horrible, terrible reality for those that don't surrender their lives to Jesus. And I'm not trying to scare you into putting your faith in Christ, but this should be an encouraging thing. Because think about it. If you follow Jesus, you not only become one of his sheep, you also escape the wrath of hell and you get God as your shepherd the creator of the universe, a loving, caring, all-powerful God that knows and cares for you and lays down his life for you. If you would simply proclaim the statement in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Amen. Now, one way that God shepherds us is that he leads us, which is actually one of my next point here. God leads his sheep. So take verse 2, for example. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And because this psalm's poetic in nature, we have to interpret what it's saying as such. And God can absolutely lead us to literal green pastures and still waters, but that's not the point of these verses. One of the points it's making is just that God leads us. He's our leader. He's our guide, our head. Um, David, is, David is the one who wrote this psalm, and so in order for us to get an even better idea of what this could mean is just consider the context. Let's see what this might have meant for David. And there are a lot of different analogies or adjectives that we can use to describe David's life, but green pastures and still waters wasn't going to be one of my first choices. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a story where the first king of Israel, Saul, sent his servants to hunt David down. And David was actually on the run for like eight years to avoid all these forces. Eventually, David became the next king of Israel, but then he had to go on the run again. But this time, it was his own son, Absalom, that took the kingdom from him. Um, and throughout all of David's life, there was a war of some kind happening where he's either actively participating in the battles as a king or as a warrior. <clears throat> all this to say, when you read about David in First and Second Samuel, it it sounds more like God 
is leading him through what verse 4 is describing as the valley of the shadow of death. And I'll come back to that in a minute because I do want to clarify that there is no question that God is leading David. One thing that's evident when you read about David is that there's very few people who had faith in God like he did. He is human, so he did fall short occasionally, but when you look at his life as a whole, like, I wish I had a faith like his. Because no matter where he was being led, he followed God faithfully. Um, And if you're one of God's sheep, then you are also being led by him. Verse 3 tells us that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The Holy Shepherd is going to lead us where he wants us to go. And this should be a comfort. He doesn't have us on just any paths. He has us on the paths of righteousness. See, God's going to refine us throughout our lives so that we become more like his son Jesus, more and more and more. And there's a reason David had all these different trials and wars happen to him throughout his life. See, God led him down this particular path of righteousness because that is how God chose to refine David to be holier. And God will do the exact same thing for us. As our shepherd, he has us on paths of righteousness, and he's going to lead us down them. And if you look closely at verses 3 and 4, you notice something about these righteous paths. They lead through the valley of the shadow of death. And I brought this up earlier, so now let's discuss what this valley of the shadow of death is. Based on everything we've talked about David so far, we know that he's a military man, and our military members here can attest that um, it's not very advantageous in battle to be down in a valley. You go for the high ground because that's, it gives you a better view of your enemies. And I would much rather have the high ground in a valley that's called the shadow of death. Um, I don't know for sure what the shadow of death means. It's most likely symbolizing that death is knocking on David's doorstep. There could be wild animals or bandits or King Saul's forces approaching him from all sides. Um, For us today, this valley could symbolize many things. Maybe you're battling depression or anxiety or another kind of disease, and it just seems utterly hopeless. Maybe the medication you're taking is yielding little results, and it literally feels like death's knocking on your doorstep. Um, Maybe it's something external, or at work, or in your family. Like, a lot of us did go home and see family just this past couple weeks, and maybe it was a family of non-believers who are oppositional to your faith. Or it's a passive family that cares nothing for faith, but whenever you go home, you just get stuck in these old sinful patterns that get awoken just because you're in that environment. Or you were like me and just had to quarantine all of Christmas and didn't really get to see anybody. (laughs) Um, But like I was saying earlier, or I should say, my main point is, if what you're struggling with is trying to pull you off the righteous path and into sin, this valley is very applicable to you. Yet, This is where God leads his sheep, not up to the high ground, but down into the valley. And to be clear, God's not the one who causes these evil things to happen to us, but he does use them so that we can be refined and grow to be more like his son, Jesus. And just one more thing I wanted to say about this valley. 
it's not for your namesake that God does this. Verse 3 tells us that it's for his namesake. Throughout all these trials and refining that will be done in our life, God's doing it so that he is glorified. It's not to build ourselves up as better people, but that's so that God is built up in us, and he, so he is recognized through us to the entire world. Enemies of God will look at his sheep and see how he's been at work. Perhaps one day these enemies won't be enemies anymore. Maybe they will repent of their sins, and they'll start down the path of righteousness. If it feels like you're in the valley of the shadow of death, then so be it. Who are we to question our present circumstance? What if your present trials will one day bring others to faith? Or maybe it'll just be an encouragement to other believers who are struggling when they see you handling your, your struggles so well. Just look at how the psalmist responds to being led into this valley. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. See, David's saying that even though death's shadow is creeping around him, it's the presence of the Lord that drives out his fear. It's not because there's an absence of danger. What is your response to being led through a valley? Maybe you're resentful or you're angry or just sad, and you can feel that way. Bring your feelings to God and to others. Just don't bottle them up and... The one thing that you definitely cannot do is try to leave the shepherd. Because if you leave the shepherd's direction, you're going off the path of righteousness, and you'll be going straight into the mouths of wolves and heading for a life of sin. And also just remember, the valley does not last forever. Remember verse 2? God also leads us to green pastures and still waters. See, David's life did look a lot like the valley of the shadow of death, but it did have times of peace and joy and rest too. And we also have to keep in mind our ultimate destination. Because, brothers and sisters, we will find these green pastures at points on earth, but there's a day coming where we will know nothing but the joy and peace and love of God without any fear of surrounding enemies. Sin will be no more, and we will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. Um... Revelation 7:17 For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And this leads me to our next point, God cares for his sheep. Um, certain sins and trials may seem never ending, but in God's perspective, which is eternal, it's just but a light momentary affliction. Therefore, we can have complete trust in God through any circumstance that we're led through. Plus, we have to remember, we're not alone in this valley. God is with us. Um, first, back to verse 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, the rod and the staff are what shepherds carried around with them to both discipline and care for their sheep. And perhaps the valley you're being led through right now is so you can be disciplined. Um, we all have sin that God will root out of us, and this might be exactly what you need um, to see the sin and repent of it. Maybe you're, you're just completely unaware of the sin, and this is what need, needs to be done to be, make it brought to the light. Discipline can be too painful, but David looks at it as a comfort. It's also worth noting that when God called Moses and sent him to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, he did it through... Moses' staff, like that's how miracles were made manifest. 
Um, one example from Exodus 7.20 speaks of what happened for the first plague. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. It's symbolic for him to use a staff in this and a few of the other plagues because it demonstrates God's power as a shepherd. I want to take one more example from David's life. Um, for those of you who don't know, David was also a shepherd, and so he had to protect his sheep as well. And this is an excerpt from 1 Samuel when David is talking to Saul before he goes to fight Goliath. So 1 Samuel, starting in verse 34. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. I love that. <laughs> David doesn't have a doubt in his mind that God's going to lead him into battle and bring him out of it victorious. Or we could also say he's leading him into the valley and being led out victorious. I also love how he went to rescue his sheep out of the mouths of lions and bears. Like, he cared that much for his sheep to do so. How much more does God care for you? His rod and his staff are good for discipline and to keep us on the path, but they're also a comfort to us. Either when we're walking on the path or we start to take our eyes off the shepherd or when we're in the mouths of lions, they're a comfort to us. All this to say, God is leading us and he cares for us. So now we should ask the question, how do we follow God in such a way that keeps us on our path? Well, one way the psalmist tells us is in verse 1. I shall not want. Want what exactly? Well, if you're desiring something or someone else as your shepherd besides God, you're following some kind of idol. And to clarify, God will use other people to shepherd us, like the elders or our disciple maker. But what I'm saying is, who are you looking for that's outside of God's path of righteousness to be shepherded by? Or in other words, what are you idolizing? It could be security from your bank account, advancement in your career, the entertainment industry like movies and TV shows, or sports. But really, the question is, why are we idolizing those things? We forget so quickly who we already have as our shepherd, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, a caring and personal God who knows everything about us and loves us despite our sin, despite any of our shortcomings. What else could we possibly want, right? Your shepherd, our shepherd's already laid down his life for us too. Let's go back to John 10 in verse 12 real quick. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Any other shepherd that you turn to is not a shepherd at all. They're just a hired hand who's going to abandon you when the wolves come. So another way that we can follow God that keeps us from straying is just through personal devotions. Um, The best way for us to get to know our shepherd is by reading his word. The Bible is God's word to us, and it tells us everything we need to know about God. It's perfect, infallible, complete. Um, And reading the word accompanied with prayer are two of our greatest tools that we can use to better devote our lives to God. Uh, One last application point is just to obey God. The Bible tells us how to walk down the path of righteousness, so do what it says. Easier said than done, I know, but... Being part of a church body presents numerous opportunities to obey God. For example, are you serving as a volunteer here? We've had a need for child care workers and the new hospitality team. And here's, here's my shameless plug. If, for those of you who don't know, I'm the deacon for the youth ministry. So if working with high schoolers is something that interests you, or just learning how to teach lessons in general, come talk to me. Um, Or when's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Maybe you should join us at the next Gospel and Grub to improve on your evangelism. And I say all this not to try to guilt anybody into being more active in your faith, but do you know what happens when you are regularly devoting your lives to God like this? Verse 3 gives us the answer. He restores my soul. So what does that look like? It's difficult to put into words, but you just have this overall sense of peace, knowing that you are God's and he is yours. And you don't always feel this way, but if you like never, ever feel this way, that's a pretty strong sign that you're probably not abiding in God. And just remember, David was able to have his soul restored, even in the valley of the shadow of death. All right, so we've come to the point in the psalm where it starts to move away from referring to God as a shepherd and now more as the host of a house, which also leads us to our final point. We can have total confidence in God. So verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And I just want to point out, it's pretty amazing that the psalm is starting to end this way. See, we've been taken through this pilgrimage in the first four verses of progress of our salvation that eventually ends with us dining in God's house. Just take that in as we see what God does for his guests. Um, The first is that he prepares a table before them. And the best way to interpret what that means is by doing what we did earlier— Consider the context. David wrote the psalm, so what would this have meant for him? We already know that David was a warrior, and um, for him to feast before his enemies could just look like when he won a battle, he got the spoils. He would get the rewards that the battle was being fought over, like um, land, protection of his kingdom, or maybe expansion of his kingdom. Um, Whatever it is, David is giving God the credit for the victory. That's key. David didn't attain this victory over his enemies. 
God just set the table before David, and David just feasted. Um, I also want to make note that God is preparing this table in the presence of David's enemies. So perhaps the enemies at this point in the psalm are just present as captives. They're reluctant guests who have been defeated and triumphed over. Uh, Next thing that verse 5 tells us is that God anoints his head with oil. This is often something that people in biblical times would do when they had guests over at their house, but another use for being anointed with oil is when a person was about to be named king. So David was anointed with oil when Samuel visited his home and declared him to be the next king after Saul. But it's symbolic because those who dwell in the house of the Lord are royalty. See, we are sons and daughters of the king of the universe, princes and princesses to the greatest ruler to ever exist. And he anoints us as such, not with oil, but with the Holy Spirit. Last thing that God does as a host is that he makes our cups overflow. So overflow with what exactly? Um, John 4.14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. (laughs) So awesome. Our cups overflowing with eternal life that comes from a spring of water that never runs out. All right, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, living in God's house entails being fed, being anointed, and having an overflowing cup. And then it says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. See, we know what's awaiting us um, when we dwell in the house of the Lord, so how can we not have this kind of confidence that David does? As we walk down the path of righteousness... We have goodness to take care of our steps and mercy to take care of our stumbles. And the end of the path is the house of the Lord where we will dwell forever. God's people can have total confidence in him because he leads us and cares for us in the midst of our enemies. I hope and pray that this message was encouraging for my brothers and sisters here that are struggling and re- just remember, like, whatever you are struggling with, do, do not let it take you off the path of righteousness. Don't let it lead you into sin. Your shepherd is good and will lead you through it. Because after all, the end goal is growth and holiness and to dwell in God's house forever. And for those of you who are here that are not followers of Jesus, I just want to ask again, consider what it might look like for you to put your faith in Christ. Because the path you're on currently leads to destruction. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, and you're not going to be shepherded to God by any other path you find. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and as they do, I just want us to contemplate these couple things. First, if you are a believer, what are some enemies or struggles that you are facing that is tempting you off the path of righteousness? Confess these things to God and turn away from them. And there will be prayer counselors in the back if you want to be prayed over something specific. And the other thing was, if you're not a believer, 
keep contemplating the end of the path that you're on. I know I said this before, but hell is reality for those that are not God's sheep. And again, I'm not trying to scare you into faith, but just remember, it should be a comfort. If you're following Jesus, you escape the wrath of hell and get God as your shepherd instead of the idols leading you to destruction. And if you still have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, there will be prayer counselors in the back you can go talk to, or you can come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Or some of the other pastors here, like Chad or Jared or Thomas or Doug. Um, Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Let me pray to close here. Jesus, thank you again um, for gathering us here and for your word for Psalm 23 and for being our shepherd and that you are going to lead us through green pastures and still waters and through valleys of the shadow of death. Thank you for doing this to refine us to be more like your son. It's in his name I pray. Amen.